morning, Digital Cathedral family. Glad to have you with me. Hope once again, I always like to say, I hope it's been a wonderful week for you. You got everything accomplished, all your goals met, and that you can just settle down this morning at the Digital Cathedral and we can share a little bit about some spiritual things. I want to talk to you this morning about one of the most hijacked phrases in Christianity, and I'm talking about the term born again. I want to take John chapter 3 this week and next week. There's two interesting things in John chapter 3 that I think as the body of Christ we've totally misconstrued. I want to talk this morning to you about this phrase, born again, that Jesus that Jesus introduced to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. If you, if you follow me, you know that we're working our way through the book of John in 2022. I'm not going verse by verse or even chapter by chapter. I'm just wanting to highlight some events out of the book of John because John does a a tremendous job at presenting a non-dualistic gospel. No separation between you and the Father. There's no two here. There's not you and him. He does a great job at showing us the oneness between the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and you being brought into that circle. So we've got this phrase born again. I want to talk about that this week, next Sunday morning, John chapter 3, verse 16, how we have messed that that phrase up in context of the passage in John chapter 3. So I want to spend two weeks looking at two two things from, from that third chapter that I think we need to adjust our thinking on a little bit. So we've heard this term born again all of our life. If It doesn't matter whether you were an evangelical, a charismatic, a Pentecostal, word of faith, whatever your background was, Uh, You heard this term born again. We've heard it wrong so many times. And it's been used in the same way over and over and over again that we it never entered our mind to even question it. It never entered our mind to look at it, whether we were an evangelical, a Pentecostal, word of faith. We we just accepted what we were told went on in this third chapter of John when Jesus had a dialogue with Nicodemus. We just accepted it as normal. And we've even learned skillfully to defend that position and the definition that the church has put on what being born again is all about. And the way that has been presented is kind of as being the ultimate need of man to be born again uh, so that he can go to heaven. He won't be tortured by the Father in an eternal uh, torture chamber in fire for all eternity. And so the, the church has presented in a way that if you're born again, you're safe. If you're not born again, then you're not safe. And they have attached, and, it, and right now it really irritates me because I see this thing completely different. And we're going to look at it in context of John chapter 3, and I think it's going to frustrate you and irritate you too a little bit. Um, we, we've just taken this thing and we've molded it and we've defined it and made it the way that we wanted to in the church for for generations until now we just defend it we say here's what being born again is now this may this may shake your cosmos this may shake your cosmos but most evangelical christians are not born again <laughs> they're truly not born again they have no idea what being born again is about in what Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about in his third chapter, John. I can't hardly wait to get into it because it's really gonna, it's gonna be good. And I think it's gonna bring some illumination to you. And let me just say right here, I want you to be tender in handling this with other people because 
You know, at the Digital Cathedral, I can, I can just break truth out to you, and I think you're ready to absorb it. But if you go over to your Baptist friend or your charismatic friend, your Assembly of God friend, you begin to tell them what you've discovered born again really is all about. They're not going to receive it. They're not going to accept it because it is a work of the Spirit to open their eyes to the truth of the Scripture. So to most born again, to most evangelicals, here's what born again is. Born again means that by the grace of God, and what a contorted definition of grace they've put on this, but they would say by the grace of God, we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord, as our personal Savior. We've trusted Christ with our life. We have, we have committed our life to Him. We've asked Him to forgive all of our sins. We've prayed, we've confessed, we've repented. We've thought of every sin that we've ever that we can remember that we ever committed, we confessed it, we repented, we told him we were sorry, we would never do it again. And as a result of what we have now done in accepting Jesus into our heart, into our life as our personal Savior and repenting of our sins, now the Father has responded and has received us into his family. It's all about what you do. Notice, you have to pray the prayer. You have to accept Jesus into your heart. You have to confess all of your sins. You have to dot every I, cross every T. Then the Father responds to you and receives you into his family. Up to that time, he had nothing to do with you. They would say that you're a child of the devil. You have an endemic nature. You're headed for hell. And unless you accept Jesus as your personal Savior, accept him into your life, confess your sins, and when you do that, you are now born again. And the Father receives you into his family. Now that in a couple of sentences is what most evangelicals believe that being born again is all about. Let me just tell you about this, this term born again. Term born again didn't begin to even emerge until the early 20th century. John Wesley with the Arminians, uh, John Calvin, the Calvinists, and Charles Parnham, Pentecostal, not Jesus, but those three begin to make this term born again and begin to hone it and begin to define it to the way that, that evangelical Christians understand it today. The, the, the vast majority of Christians would say this is born again, accept Jesus into your heart, pray the prayer, confess your sins, and live a life that's, that's not sinning. You've got to live a good life. And then at, you have been born again. Um, it was made popular in the 60s. Probably the guy that in our generation, the last 50, 60 years, that really brought this phrase to the forefront was Billy Graham in all the Crusades. He would put the call out for people and he would use his story from, from John chapter 3, which we're going to explore. He would use his term born again and people would in mass come out of the, out of the uh, stands because they wanted what born again would give them, which was a ticket out of eternal torture and a, and a place in heaven. So once you were born again, you had your seat in heaven secured, you would escape hell, you'd escape damnation, you'd escape the wrath of the Father. And uh, so you wanted to make sure you did that. So people would respond to that in mass. Even in Billy Graham crusades, four, five, six months later, nobody could find those people. Nobody knew who they were. When they got away from the emotional pull of the crusade, they forgot what they did. With Wesley, Calvin, and Parnum, the, the Arminians, the Calvinists, the Pentecostals, it much was the same way. It was based on an emotional appeal. And they would have people come forward and pray 
what I call the magic prayer, because once you pray it, then they said that was it. You were born again. You accepted Jesus. You believed in your heart. Uh, you confessed everything that you ever did that was wrong. Now you were born again. Now, this whole thing is based on one conversation with Nicodemus that Jesus had. I think it's noteworthy to understand that it was used by Jesus one time with one man in the middle of the night. Jesus never used that phrase born again again. <laughs> Paul never used it. Peter never used it. James never used it. John never used it, except in this third chapter of John when he recorded this conversation, this one conversation with one man in the middle of the night. Now, does, doesn't it just seem reasonable? Let me, let me just appeal to your reason for a minute. If this is the foundational doctrine of the church that gets you your ticket out of hell and into heaven, if this is the foundational truth, doesn't it only stand to reason that Jesus would have said this over and over and over and over and over again? He would have made sure this was imprinted on the disciples. He would have commanded Peter, James, and John to take this message of you must be born again to the nations to make sure people were born again. They accepted him into the heart as their personal savior. They confessed all their sins. He certainly would have appealed to Paul the years that Paul spent in the desert that when he went to the nations, the message you have to preach is you must be born again. Now that's been the message of the church. It's been the message of the church because the church wants to put another notch in its gun and when you're born again, it's, it's like a feather in the cap or a notch on the gun. That's a mark of success to a pastor or to a church when you get people to pray the prayer, accept Jesus, confess their sins and commit their life to Christ. You're born again, you're born again. Now I wanna look at, at, at this conversation that Jesus had, and I maintain this morning, most evangelicals are not born again. Most Pentecostals are not born again. Charismatics, not born again. According to what Jesus ministered and spoke, what born again was all about to Nicodemus. I wanna read 12 verses of scripture out of John chapter three. It's a little bit longer scripture than I normally read. And I know you know the story, so as I read it, it's just gonna reiterate, but we're gonna find some things in here. We're gonna find out what born again actually is. Uh, if you were with me Wednesday night at the secret place, I told you what we were gonna teach on, and I asked you to read the first 12 verses of John to see if you could pick out of there. It's, it stands out like a red flag. Once you see it, you can't unsee it as to what Jesus said born again really was. So let me read these 12 verses, and then we're gonna get into this. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no man can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, verse three, assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Verse five, Jesus most, said, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and one is born of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we've got two different things going on here. In verse three, he says, you can't see it. And in verse uh, five, he says, you need to enter it. So seeing and entering are different things. Verse six, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it. You see the results, but you cannot tell from where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone born of the spirit of, of God. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? 
Jesus answered. This is an important thing here. I'm probably not going to spend any time on it. But Jesus said, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? So Jesus was getting after Nicodemus saying, you should understand, you've already understood this. This has been something that's, it's not brand new. You should, you should fully grasp this. Verse 11, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak that which we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? All right, let's go back and look, look at this for just a minute. What does Jesus mean by the term born again? Different translations of the Bible say it a little bit different. There's some translations say born anew, some say born from above, some say born of the Spirit. So in, in, that, in that third chapter, the third verse where Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, some versions would say born anew, born from above, born of the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us plainly in verse 3 what born again means. I'm going to read it again. This, this is what born again means. Verse 3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Is the mark of a born again person, one who has prayed the prayer, confessed their sins, accepted Jesus into their life as his personal Lord and Savior? That's not the definition Jesus put on it. I never heard this in all of my life. But he says in verse 3, and this is so plain, this is the red flag. He says, you cannot see the kingdom unless you're born again. The mark of a person that is born again is a person that can see the kingdom. I'm going to let that settle in. The mark of a person that is born again is one that can see the kingdom. He be, let me work on this. Let me just massage it a little bit. It means that you can see in spirit. It means you see with eyes that you didn't see before. It means you no longer live by senses, but there is a kingdom dimension now that you have entered into. Paul said that we have been delivered from the power of darkness, Colossians 1.13. We've been delivered from the power of darkness and we have been translated. I love that word translated because it's an instantaneous happening. We've been translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. When you begin to see the kingdom, that's the mark of a person that's been born again. You don't live by senses. You don't live by, by natural means anymore. And this whole thing that Jesus is unwinding in these 12 verses is about the transition from, from natural to spirit and the work of the Spirit of God in the life of a human being. When, you're, when you see the kingdom, when you see the kingdom, what you're really starting to say is you're beginning to see things from a different perspective than totally just natural. Now you got a conflict. See, now you have a conflict. When you begin to see things in the kingdom, the kingdom is within you, right? It's not, you're not looking outward for something. It's when you begin to discover the Christ that is within. It's when you discover, as Paul did, who said, it pleased the Father when he separated me from my mother's womb to reveal the Christ in me, not to me, the Christ in me. He said, and I took this message to the Gentiles that Christ is in you. As you awaken to that, you begin to see the kingdom. The kingdom is the domain of the king. The kingdom is where the king rules. So Jesus said, the mark of a born-again person in verse 3, the work of the Spirit, and I'm going to get into more of these verses. I just want to plant this. 
Born again is not praying the prayer. Born again is not accepting Jesus into your life as your personal Savior. Born again is an awakening. It's, an, it's a quickening from within where now you begin to see a dimension. You begin to see a kingdom. You begin to see a sphere that you never saw before. Now, we were not trained in this. We were trained for years by logic, by reasoning, by right and wrong. And what the church told us, the Bible clearly says... We were told that born again, the Bible clearly says that to be born again means you've accepted Jesus into your life as your personal Savior, you've repented, you've confessed, and you believe in Him. What they're really saying about the, what the Bible clearly says, they're telling you it's clear with the spin they've put on it. But there's nowhere in this 12 verses that any of those stipulations are placed on being born again. Born again, your eyes are opened. Those of you that are with me at the Digital Cathedral, your eyes have been opened. You have seen things you'll never unsee. You're seeing a life that you never knew even existed before. Your eyes are open and you see things new. You see yourself differently. You're discovering your identity as divinity. You're understanding you're not a, a vile, wretched, <laughs> depraved sinner. From the very get-go, God claimed you as a son. You're seeing other people differently. You're seeing them in a way you never saw them before. You're no longer judging them. You're not seeing them after the flesh. You're beginning to see other people through the eyes of the Father. See, that's the kingdom. That's seeing through the kingdom. This is what Jesus is getting at in John chapter 3 and verse 3. Let me, let me read it again. I'm going to read it slowly. Most assuredly, with all confidence, Jesus said, I'm telling you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom. How do you know if you're born again? Is it because you prayed a prayer? Is it because you made a confession? Is it because you accepted a church doctrine? Is it because you joined a club, a church, a particular denomination? No. The mark of one who is born again is that they now see the kingdom. That's why I say evangelicals, Pentecostals, Charismatics, Word of Faith people, for the most part, are not born again because they don't see the kingdom. They're not entering into the kingdom. You see it, and then you enter into it. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll unwind that in just a minute. But this is the mark. So today, if you're with me at the Digital Cathedral, your eyes have been opened. You're seeing kingdom. You're seeing truth. You're seeing things that you never saw before. Now you understand what Paul was getting at. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. When do old things pass away and all things become new? When you understand that you are now in Christ, that you've always been in Christ. I, Paul said, when it pleased the Father to reveal the Christ that was in me. The minute that the Christ was revealed in Paul, his eyes opened up. Jesus appeared to him physically, but the awakening took place within Paul. And it's, it's not a one-time happening. See, it's not a one-time happening. It's a progressive. Paul then went out into the wilderness. Jesus went into the wilderness. You and I go through periods of time when we're, you know, probably we're spiritually attuned more than other times, but it's in those dry places in the desert that oftentimes your eyes are open to truth that you never saw before. So now you're living, you're living out of a brand new, never saw before life that comes from the Christ within, doesn't come from laws, doesn't come from rules, doesn't come from a prayer, doesn't come because you accepted a certain theology or creed. 
The Father's moving us out of this, out of this rally around belief systems into a lifestyle. The kingdom is a lifestyle. The kingdom is a recognition of Jesus as the king. The kingdom is a recognition that the one in me is greater. And as he opens my eyes, I begin to see it. So all those things that were stale, you know, I used to read the Bible, didn't make a whole lot of sense. All of a sudden now, when you see the kingdom, this thing comes alive. Have you noticed that you see verses you never saw before? And the verses that you saw before, now you're pulling new meaning out. Why is that? Because your eyes are open. You're seeing the kingdom. You're not just seeing it. You have entered into it. You're living now in a place where Paul said in Romans chapter 8, let me read this for you. You can, you can probably relate to this now since your eyes have been opened and you have seen the kingdom. In, in uh, Romans chapter 8, the very first verse, he says, there, there's therefore no condemnation, no judgment to those who are in Christ Jesus. You're in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation. Now watch, here, here's a big key. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. When you're walking according to the spirit, you're seeing the kingdom. When you're, walking, when you're walking according to the Spirit, you've entered into the kingdom. You've entered into a kingdom dimension. You've entered into a kingdom walk. How do you know if, you're, if you have entered the kingdom? You're walking by the Spirit. You see the kingdom. You see the kingdom when you're awakened. You enter the kingdom as you begin to live by Spirit. Does that make sense to you? Those of you that I'm talking to this morning, those of you that I minister to every week, the, the whole emphasis is learning to walk in the spirit, to live in the kingdom, to live in that dimension. We see it and now we've entered into it. It's one thing to see it. See, when you see it, you start getting hungry for it. That's the way it worked with me. When I saw the kingdom, when I saw that my, my attention, my affection was no longer placed on earthly things, those, those things pass away. My attention now began to focus on eternal things and that allowed me then to enter the kingdom and to be led by spirit. So there's two parts to this. You see it, then you enter into it. And I want to go back to, to John in just a couple of minutes. But I, I, just, I, I just want to nail this down for you because I want you to see what a work of the spirit it is. So he says in that second verse, um, watch this. For the law of the spirit of life that is in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is that old form of being born again, praying the prayer, accepting Jesus that puts you under law. It's based on what you do. Born again has nothing to do with what you do. It's the work of the spirit that is within you to open your eyes. You cannot open your eyes. You can't open the eyes of other people. It comes in a spirit timing. It has made you free from the law of sin and death. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we're not debtors to the flesh anymore. Why? Because we've entered the kingdom. We've seen it and we've entered into it. We're not debtors to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are disconnected. He says, if you live according to the flesh, you die. That means you've been disconnected from life. Doesn't mean you're physically going to pass, but you're, you're not connected to Zoe. A lot of, a lot of people um, follow Jesus, but they're not connected to Zoe. There's no Zoe, no Goway in their life. There's nothing that's an overflow. There's nothing that emanates life. You talk to them, it's dead as an order. They're dry. They're, they're thirsty. They're wanting revival. They're wanting God to come and do something. They haven't learned to see and enter into the kingdom. If you live according to the flesh, you die. But if you through the Spirit put to death the deeds of the body or you reprioritize and you're now living out of the Spirit, you will live. 
Let me come, let me come back to that third chapter of John for just a minute. Back up just a minute to John chapter 3, and I want you to see something. It's, it's once you see this, looking back, man, we, we were so jacked up, so messed up. Verse 8 says, the wind blows the spirit. The spirit is a, the wind is a typology of spirit. The spirit blows or it moves wherever it wishes to. Nobody tells the spirit how to move. You hear the sound of it. You see the results of it. You see the results in your life. When you begin to live by grace, you see the results of that divine influence that produces effortless change as you rest in him. You see the change in your life. You see the change in other people. I can tell you as a matter, I can tell you as a truthful fact that when I began to teach grace, the people that stayed with me, they changed more than they ever did in the 20, 25, 30, 35 years I pastored them. I had people that had the same problems all the time. Grace changed them because it produces an effortless change as you rest in Him. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You see the results, but you can't tell where it's coming from. You can't tell where it's going. So, this is key. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. When you're born of the Spirit, it's a work of the Spirit. There, there's nothing in this eighth verse about being born of the Spirit. It's a work of the Spirit. Can, can you gather that out of this eighth verse? The wind, the Spirit blows. It moves wherever it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You see what's taking place. But you can't tell where it's coming from. And you can't tell where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. One that has been born of the Spirit is the result of the Spirit moving as it wills. It's a result of the Spirit doing its work. You can't tell where it's coming from. You can't tell where it's going, but you see the results of it. That is so powerful. In this eighth verse, in this eighth verse, there's nothing about a magic prayer, about being born of the Spirit. There's nothing about a magic prayer. There's nothing about confessing your sins. There's nothing about accepting Jesus as your personal Savior. There's nothing about committing your life to Him. There's nothing about promising to live for Jesus because it's a total work of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> Man, if, if, if I could just get that into every one of you, that what has happened in your life is a total work of the Spirit. Back up just a couple, a uh, little bit to John chapter 1, because this is used a lot. John chapter 1 and verse 12. As many as receive him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God, even to those that believe in his name. To as many as receive him. See, this is where we kind of get the magic prayer thing. you got to receive him. He then gives you the right to become a son of God, but you've got to receive him first. And in verse 13, who were born not of flesh and blood, nor the will of the flesh, but or the will of man, but of God. And I'm going to tie those two together for you. Let me just take that 12th verse. As many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. The word receive there is the word lambano. You know what lambano means? It means to take hold of what belongs to you. It doesn't, it doesn't make something happen. Lambano does not make something yours. You, put, you already possessed it. You lay hold of it. It would be like I deposited a million dollars into your bank account and you go down and you lambano. You take hold of what already belongs to you. Through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, salvation, wholeness, fullness has been totally deposited into your life. It is, a, it, is a, it is a direct deposit. He's put it into your life. 
Now, when you receive, when you lambano, you draw on what has already been deposited in there. Your, your receiving does not make it so. Your receiving does not make the deposit. He made the deposit apart from you, right? The right, the power, the authority to become, to emerge, to transition, to effect a change of condition has already been placed within you. And now you're simply drawing on it. See, to as many as receive him, to them gave he right to become the sons. The word there is, is technon. It's, it correlates to a teenager. It's one that's not fully mature. It's not a napias. It's not a newborn. It's not a, a pation. It's not a toddler. It's a, it's a technon. Those are three Greek words that are used for sons. So it, it, you, you have a, the ability now to come up to this place of being like a teenager. That's been put within you. Now, real maturity to become a weas a mature son, which Jesus was, uh, when it's used by the son with Jesus, it's, the word is weas. I think technon is in Luke 2.52, when Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. I think the word that is used in there as, as sonship for Jesus is the word technon. I'd have to go back and verify that. But it's a progression. But here's what I want. See, we never do verse 13 with verse 12. Verse 13 tells you exactly what I'm telling you. This is, not, this is not something that you do yourself to make it so. It's pulling on the deposit that has already been placed within you. And verse 13 affirms that. So he puts verse 12 and says, As many as receive him, to them gave he power or the right to become the sons of God, those that believe on his name. Now watch this. Who were born not of blood, who were born not of the will of the flesh, who were born not of the will of man, but were born of God. So he takes verse 13 and tells you how this thing takes place. It is the total will of God. It has nothing to do with the will of man, will of flesh. It has nothing to do with the will that we've demonstrated. It has nothing to do with our, our willpower or our works. It's his work. It's his job. It's his initiative. And what we do is we awaken to it. And I'll tell you this morning, the one that began a good work is going to finish it. He is, he's the pursuer. We're the responder. The old born-again formula that we had made us the pursuer and him the responder. We had to pursue him. We had to pray the prayer. We had to make the confession. We had to enter in, and then he would receive us. That's not what Scripture says. Jesus said in John 6, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And I ordained you that you'd go forward and, and bear much fruit. Then um, in, in John chapter 4 and verse 19, John says it like this. He says, we love him because he first loved us. Always response. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Response. We love him because he first loved us. We respond to it. See, he's already laid claim to you. You belong to him. You're, you're his possession. He's never going to let go of you. He's never going to let go of you. You belong to him. Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1. I'll read this out of the New King James. It says, The earth is the Lord in all its fullness. The earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. Did you catch that? The earth is the Lord's as well as every person that dwells therein belongs to him. He's laid claim to you and he's not going to let it go. Paul caught it. Paul caught it. Paul knew it. So he writes Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 6. He says, there is one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in all. So born again, what is it? It's an awakening. 
It's the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. It's beginning to understand who you always were, but had no idea. You were blind to it. The world looks new. Scripture looks new. Everything looks new. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. I'm really asking the Father to show me the depth of this new creation. I don't, I don't think we have even scratched the surface. We're gonna, people are going to be fearful of how, what this new creation really is. What, what being a partaker of the divine nature really encompasses. And as, as this new creation arises, as it begins to take place and settle in, you know what happens? Now your eyes are opened. You have entered in. You see it, you enter in. You see it as, as you're awakened, you enter in as you learn to be led by the Spirit. All right, so you see it, you enter in. It's what Jesus said, uh, John 3, 3, John 3, 5. You see and enter. There's two, there's, there's different things there. And this all, as soon, when that takes place, then the Holy Spirit starts downloading into you truth. He starts downloading revelation. Have you noticed that in your life? That when you, when you no longer depended on your prayer, your acceptance, your believing, your faith. You understood it was his faith, and it was all by grace. For by grace are you saved, through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, total gift of God, total direct deposit, total giving to you. And it started It started even before you hit the planet. Ephesians 1, 4 says that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. There was never, there was never a time, listen to me, there was never a time that you were not in Christ. Even before you took on this flesh suit, your spirit being, that's when he placed you in Christ. If you want another scripture, you can check out 1 Timothy 4, verses 9 and 10. I'm not going to take time to read it because I'm running a little, little bit late here, a little quick. I need to take time. <laughs> 1 Timothy chapter 4. Because we did not... We did not make this stuff happen. We did not, it didn't originate with us. We were not the instigators. We were not the initiators. We were the responders. Ephesians 1, 4, it placed you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now watch what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 9. He said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. Paul says, I want you to perk your ears up. I'm going to tell you something that you need to pay real close attention to. For to this end we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe, especially those that believe, especially those that lay hold of what belongs to them, especially those, not exclusively, he's the Savior of all men, but exclusively those that have seen and those that are led by spirit that have entered into the kingdom, the believer, there's, there's extra benefits. There's, there's tremendous benefit for being a believer. People are always tell me, well, you know what you teach, why not just go live any old way you want to? That's just foolishness. That's, as Kenneth Hagin would say, that's ignorance gone to seed. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard of. What you're doing is revealing the motive of your heart. If the only reason you accepted Jesus was to go to heaven and miss hell, you're not in the ballgame either, brother. You've missed, you have missed the entirety of the message. He is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. Let me, let me read this. This is a faithful saying. To this end, we both labor and suffer reproach because we, we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. So you came here as an infant, right? You, you entered this planet as an infant, just like Jesus did. 
His pattern of growth becomes your pattern of growth. So I want you to see if you can catch the similarity here. I'm going to read you two passages of Scripture, and I want you to see how you grow. This, this is not about accepting Jesus. This is not about making Him Lord and Savior of your life. That's all fine. That's all dandy. That's all important. You want to pray a prayer, pray the prayer. But I'm telling you, the, the, the facts come as you're awakened. Jesus, it says in Luke 2.52, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. There's a process. There was, there was an awakening in the life of Jesus. At 12, he was, he was confounding the teachers down at the temple. He didn't do that at age 6. And at age 30, he began his ministry. He didn't do any miracles. He didn't, he didn't impress anybody with what he was doing. But at age 30, he came to a place when he was baptized in the Jordan that the clouds opened, a voice from heaven said, This is my boy. This is my son. This is in whom I'm well pleased. As you awaken, as your eyes are open, I'm going to tell you that same witness will come into your life that you are a beloved son, your beloved daughter, in whom God is well pleased. Some of you say, man, I don't, <laughs> you don't know my life. You don't know the mistakes I've made. You don't know the errors I've made. How could he be pleased with me? Back to, John, back to Ephesians 1.4, it says that he chose us in Christ that we should be holy and blameless or spotless before him or from his eyes, from his perspective in love. His, his love, when he sees you through his love, he doesn't see your faults. He doesn't see your uh, mess ups. He sees you perfect. He sees you righteous. He sees you justified. This is what we're awakening to. When you come out of religion and you awaken to these things, you become a force to be reckoned with. Religion can't handle you anymore. They can, they can try to condemn you, try to make you feel guilty, but it's like water off a duck's back. It doesn't matter what people say about me. I know that I'm criticized in a lot of quarters. I know that I, 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 that comes with the territory. Now, Jesus grew into that. I'm gonna, I want to read a little passage of Scripture, and I want you to see if you can see the same pattern that when we're awakened, we, be, we begin to be led by the Spirit. We see the kingdom. We've entered into it. Now, here's the pattern of growth. I say that the heir, which you are, you're an heir of all that God has. Join heir with Christ. The heir, as long as he's a child, pation, toddler, infant, does not differ at all from the servant, though he is master of all. But he's under governors and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. There's a time appointed by the Father where he releases you. Time appointed by the Father for Jesus that he was released was the baptism in water. Then he went into the wilderness and he, he showed himself he knew his identity. He couldn't be moved off his identity. If you are the Son of God, do this. I'm the Son of God. I don't need to prove anything to you. See, that's where you need to be. That's where, he's, that's where he's growing us to. That Man, that is entering the kingdom. That's walking in the kingdom. That's enjoying the kingdom dimension. Even so we, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. Watch this, verse 6, 4. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, that we might lay hold of the sonship that was already ours, that we might lambano, that we might receive, that we might recognize, that we might enter into the sonship that is ours. And because you are sons, he doesn't say, now, wait a minute, you need to make a decision. Are you going to be a son? Are you, are you, going, to, are you going to accept Jesus? Are you going to confess all your sins? No, because you are sons. 
That's an act of God. Total grace. So is the second part of this. Because your son God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, where now you're starting to cry, Abba, Father. You see that, you see that intimacy. Abba is an is a intimate term. That's like daddy, father. Call him daddy. Call him papa. Whatever you want to call. Because he sent the spirit. He made you a son. He sends the spirit. Man, this thing is grace. It's so powerful and it's so good. Therefore, you're no longer a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ Jesus. So I just wanted you to see the pattern of growth. Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor. You come into this thing as a child, even though you're heir of everything. Because of Jesus, you're an heir of everything, but you're under governors and tutors. You're under, you're, you, you need to be guided. You need to be helped. But there comes a time that the Father has appointed that he releases you. See, you had the power to become the son. You have the power to grow from immaturity to maturity. Again, it was the water baptism of Jesus that marked that line of demarcation. And there will be a time in your life. Listen to me. Hope you stayed with me so far. Comes a time in your life, man, when you step over the line. And you know that you know that you know that you know who you are. You know your identity. You know your position. Nobody can steal it. Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can argue you out of it. The people down at the church say we're praying for you that you get back the way you, you ought to be. You know that you know who you are. It's eye-opening to see the kingdom. And it's like a second birth. Man, when you see it, it's like I've been born again again. And it, it's an ongoing. There are times I feel like I've been born again, 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 because I'm seeing more. I'm entering into more. Objectively, it all happened at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Peter says it so well in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says that you were, you were begotten again. And some translations say born again. You were born again through the resurrection of Jesus. Again, there's nothing in Peter about praying a prayer, accepting Christ, living the life, him being your personal Lord and Savior. Objectively, factually, it was done at the resurrection. Begotten, the word ananageo. It means born, birth, begotten again, uh, birthed from above, through the resurrection, from death to life. From death to life. John chapter 1 and verse 8. Let me, let me just read that real quick. John chapter 1 and verse 8, because this is, this is actually what happened here. Verse 8. John chapter 1 and verse 8. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Then in verse uh, 23, he said, he said I, I am the one crying with a voice in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. Right? So in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, this light is a light, John chapter 1 says, that lights every man that comes into the world. So through the, through the, through the resurrection, the light entered you. That's exactly what he's saying here in that eighth verse. This was, this was the true light which gives light to every man. Verse 9, verse 8 says, He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light which gives light to every man that comes into the world. So you've already got a Jesus light. That's what I'm trying to get. I'm trying to get you to see that through the resurrection, 1 Peter 1, 3, you were born again. When you went with Jesus to the cross, the old died. The old passed away. You, you were crucified with Christ. You were resurrected with Christ. You were born from death to life. When you walked out of the tomb with Jesus, you were a new creation. 
There's no two ways about it. That's objectively. Subjectively or practically on a daily basis, you experience it when you're awakened. I can't tell you when that's going to happen because Jesus just told us that the Spirit blows where it wants to. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going, but you see the results. The results are what you're seeing in your life. And you don't, they're not results that you got to try to measure up to somebody's standards. You don't have to try to live up to what the church tells you to do. You know the results in your life. You look in the mirror in the morning, you think, man, I'm not the same guy that I was. Do you know why? Because of his grace, that divine influence has produced an effortless change in you. All the things that you try to change through counseling and deliverance and all of that, all of a sudden, grace has totally changed it. What did the church do with born again? They didn't make it an act of the Spirit. They made it an act that you must do, and then the Father accepts you. They took the born again and they tried to mass produce it. They put it into a formula. And the formula is what evangelicals generally accept as being born again. You pray the prayer, you accept Jesus, you make him your Lord, you make him your savior, confess your sins. You know, you know, the, you know the routine. Church tried to mass produce it through a formula and then call it done. They don't recognize Jesus said, it is finished, it was done. To the church, the evangelical church, it's not done until you act and you pray the prayer and you make the acceptance. They don't see that the gospel is not an invitation. The gospel is a proclamation of what the Father through the Son has accomplished for all of humanity. People, people have prayed the prayer and they're no, they are no more awakened than my cat Abigail. They're still walking in darkness. They have no clue what they've done, but they've got the ticket. They've got the ticket. They never saw the kingdom. What they saw was the ticket that got them out of hell and into heaven because that's the way it was presented. You don't get born again and die. You're going to hell. A loving father with unconditional love is going to torture you forever because you did not love him. Therefore, he couldn't reciprocate and love you. See, the gospel is a proclamation. I'm proclaiming the gospel this morning. When we walk through that third chapter of John and see how Jesus interacted with Nicodemus, that's the gospel. He's telling you how to see the kingdom, how to enter the kingdom, how to live a kingdom life, and you awaken to that. And you, you, this is continue. This will go on for ages. Paul said it's going to take the ages to come for us to hit the depths of the love and the grace that God has invested in us in Christ Jesus. It's, the gospel is not an ultimatum that you better or else. You better get born again. You better pray the prayer because if you don't, well, you're lost. But if you do, we put another notch in our gun. If you do, we put another feather in our hat. What's going on today is this. Young people aren't buying it. I'll tell you right now, this younger generation is not buying it. The younger generation, the younger people that, I, that message me have a keen interest in spiritual things, but they're not buying this same old crap that you and I bought for, for our entire lifetime. They're questioning it. They're, they're not, they, they say that this God is like Molech or he's like Zeus. He's the sacrificer of children in fire. God said in the Old Testament, it never ever entered my mind to throw my children in fire. This is what man has made up. That's, that's not the gospel. That's not good news. Jesus came 
to bring good news and glad tidings to all men. Young people today have a tremendous spiritual interest. That's why there are tons of books. The new age is growing by leaps and bounds. Do you know why? It's a message of good news. It's still a you must do. It's still a self-promoting endeavor, but there's not the ultimatum tied to it. it there's a spiritual emphasis to it. So what our, our job is to help people see the kingdom truth. And once you see kingdom truth, things we talk about, the digital cathedral and the secret place, once you see it, you cannot unsee it. You can't, you can't wedge it out of your mind. Once you experience the truth that really sets you free from religion, you ain't heading back to Egypt for anybody. You're not going back to that same old garbage. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. You know why many Christians are not free today? It's because they haven't awakened. They haven't seen the kingdom. They've not entered into the kingdom. When the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. You're not pulling along garbage. You're not pulling old baggage. You begin to explore what the new creation is. And we renew our mind to truth. When you renew your mind, you can be, you can be set free from things that are still trying to latch on to you. There are cords and ties maybe that are trying to pull you down. As you explore the new creation, renew your mind to truth. The Spirit of God, the Son of God will set you free. Faith in Jesus is wonderful. Faith in Jesus is wonderful. Well, listen to me. That's not the new birth. That's not what it means to be born again. Born again, and I'm going to start parking this bus. Born again is the opening of your spiritual eyes to see the kingdom. That's what Jesus said in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. When you're born again, you see the kingdom. That's the mark. That's the mark. You begin to see it in all its fullness. You begin to see it in all of its truth. And there is a desire now to live in that truth. Living in that truth, as Paul said, is being led by the Spirit. As you're led by the Spirit, you not only see the kingdom, you enter into the kingdom. And so this dimension now, we begin to learn principles. We begin to learn truth. The Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and says, move this way, move that way. Don't make that decision, make this decision. We're no longer living from our senses, our perceptions. Those things now come in submission to the Spirit. Your strong personality traits. I said Wednesday night at the, at the, at the secret place, stubbornness is good. Discipline is fine. Your, your strong will are good. They just need to be in submission to your Spirit. They make wonderful servants, but they're terrible bosses. As you enter into the kingdom, you begin, as Paul said, to become Spirit, soul, and body in that progression. The Spirit begins to direct and guide you in all that you do. It's knowing. It's knowing that at the resurrection, you were raised from death to newness of life. That's when, you, that's when it happened. Now, in the Spirit's timing, He opens your eyes to that. And now you stand back and say, you know what? Once I was blind, even though I prayed the prayer, accepted Jesus, I was blind. I, I, I did not see the kingdom. I certainly didn't enter into it. I didn't know that dimension of life even existed. Now you've been born again. You've been born anew. And it's been a total work of the Spirit. Not of the will of man. Not of the will of the flesh. We read it. But it's a total work of the Spirit. You not only see, but now you've entered the kingdom. And at the Digital Cathedral, we explore what it's about living at the kingdom. With that in mind, with that in mind, I want to look next Sunday morning at John chapter 3, verse 16. 
You know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That verse has been used as a hammer on people and I'm telling you what, it's not a hammer. It's a launch pad to some of the greatest truth you could ever discover. But again, the church has taken it like they've taken born again. They've put their own definition, their own term on it. They've not, they've not explored the depths of that. So I'm going to look at that next week. You don't want to miss. This Sunday and next Sunday are great times to bring people to the digital cathedral that are exploring and looking for truth. I love you guys. Thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for hanging on as we, you know, we, we, we change course a little bit as we go. I'm, I'm telling you my theology is not set in concrete. I see more. I teach more. My eyes are open more. I bring it to the table and I hope it becomes a launch pad for you to greater dimensions within the kingdom. God is good. He's treating us good. He's blessing us. And I'll tell you what, the way the world is jacked up, messed up today, it's good to have your feet on some solid ground. Jesus said, if you hear my sayings and do them, you're building a life that's on a rock, brother. And that's what we're building on. Thank you for being with me. See you Wednesday night at The Secret Place and next Sunday morning, 10 a.m. Central, right here at the Digital Cathedral. God bless.